6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Nehemiah, chapters 3 through 5. Okay, in verse 3. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite, we're going to hear a lot about him later. He becomes a, there's a major, major lesson we're going to learn through some of his antics. But anyway, no, Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. In other words, he's, their wall is so feeble, a fox, which you know is a very agile but very small animal, that it would knock it down. That's, that's, that's his epithet, if you will. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn our reproach upon their own head, and give them a prey, uh, uh, for, for a prey in the land of the captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Let's see, I have a feeling I've missed some important issues here through that little side excursion we had. Um, Sanballat, as we said earlier in the early few verses, is, was uh, displeased. We ran, ran into him in chapter 2, you may recall. Because he was upset when Nehemiah first returned. And of course his displeasure turns to anger here. And so Tobiah is one of his associates. So it's in the presence of the Samaritan soldiers that he ridicules the Jews. and He's accusing them of rebelling against King Artaxerxes. He's even going to send a letter to the king that Nehemiah, in his strength of faith, ignores. And we'll come to that. You're going to, as you get to understand Nehemiah, you get to be very impressed. He's quite a leader. He's strong. Uh, got real backbone, and he and he also is an example for us to follow because he prays before at, at every turn. And uh, so anyway, uh, now verses uh, four and five are a prayer, of course, and uh, uh, Nehemiah. That's a distinct part and consistent part of his him solving problems. If you've got problems, the first thing I do is pray about it. We tend to do it as a last resort. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an indictment of our personal walk, if that's true, and I think it is true for many of us. No, it should be a very consistent part and probably your first step in problem solving. And uh, so, see, when, he, when Nehemiah is faced with this demoralizing attack by ne- uh, Sanballat and his guys, he, he asks for God, oh, hear us, O oh God, for we are despised. And so, um, so uh, uh, he, uh, he, he asks God to deal with them as they deserve. Um, something you discuss on the way home should Christians pray like this? Calling down punishment on your enemies? I'll teach you on that as you drive home. You can talk about that. But uh, you should understand here, Sanballat was, in opposing them, was opposing God. That puts him in a little different category. And God had already pronounced judgment against Nehemiah's enemies, or Israel's enemies. And so he was, Nehemiah's really rearticulating God's previously expressed will. So that, that should color your judgment here. So he's, he's basically praying that God would bring about that which he promised Abraham that he would do for his covenant people. And I, can, I think the main thing we all should agree on without controversy is that vengeance belongs to God, not to Nehemiah or other believers. And your references there are Deuteronomy 32.35 and Romans 12.19, for those of you building, building your notebooks. 
Let's move on to verse 6. So we built, the, so built we the wall. And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Isn't that a great thing to hear? See, after praying, Nehemiah kept working. You know, we often pray and then they stand back and expect God to do it for us. We, you know, we've given him his task list and we stand back to see if he executes it properly. No, 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 that's not the way Nehemiah did it. Nehemiah always blends the subjection of the will of God with, uh, with the, his, his uh, human effort. So he's, he, he faces Sanballat's opposition with both prayer and hard work. And once he commits the problem to the Lord, he trusts God to help them achieve their goal, but he keeps working. So they built the wall to half their height. That's, the, that's really the progress report at this point. So Sanballat and Tobias attempts to demoralize the people that had failed, but they're not through yet. Uh, the Jews rose above their attempts at discouragement and, and went ahead and, and worked diligently and enthusiastically. Uh, the word enthusiastically, you know what that means? The word is theos, God, is to be imbued with God. Enthu- the, the root word, the linguistics of enthusiasm is to be imbued in, uh, into you, uh, the Spirit of God. Interesting. We use it more broadly, but that's uh, uh, interesting where the root comes from. And uh, so anyway, they, they completed what they did in a short time. And uh, so he's, gonna, he's going to, in chapter 6, tell us that they finished the entire thing in 52 days, about eight weeks of six days each. So this was probably about the halfway point. And as Ben Franklin might summarize, well begun is half done, isn't it? Huh? When it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabians, the Arabs were there, and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem were made up, and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. So the, the enemies are starting to get angry here. It's getting nastier and nastier. And conspired all of them together to come in to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Has anything changed? Has anything changed? If you look at the whole history of the world, you know, if you study the United Nations, since its inception, it has passed some several hundred resolutions, about 301 cases, 400, anyway, both the General Assembly and the Security Council. What's interesting, if you study those over the 40 years, was it 1945 to today, it's more than 40, 50 years, over 50 years, almost, well, say, almost 60 years, do you realize that about 60% of the resolutions of the Security Council and about the same percentage of all the resolutions of the General Assembly are about Israel and always against it. The first shock is that they spend that much time on Israel. You know, the world has other problems. That may come as a surprise to some people, but, you know. But to realize, you need to understand that to understand why Israel does not get excited when they, they, the people advocate that UN inspectors come in to straighten things out. <laughs> and uh, I always get a kick about in Israel. They, they, they have UN soldiers that don't carry weapons. They call them the unsoldiers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. As, what's also fun, funny is that uh, they built their headquarters on a, uh, a hill. There was some property available. The UN did, and uh, they didn't realize they hadn't done their homework in the Old Testament because that hill was known in the days of Saul as the Hill of Evil Counsel. Ah, <laughs> 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 right, we're off the subject. Let's get back. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, the enemies are now going to start fighting, not just, not just, you know, discouraged, but they're going to come and fight. And so, uh, nevertheless, we made our prayer. This is all first person from Nehemiah. Ne- nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So see, they, I love it. They pray, but then they roll up their sleeves. I like that. And uh, nevertheless, uh, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. 
There, so the progress report is uh, uh, stirred up more trouble here. Uh, joining Sanballat and the Samaritans from the north, Tobiah and the Ammonites from the east, Geshem and the Arabs from the south. There were also men from Ashdod, the Philistine city, to the west. So they're, see, they're, getting, they're going to draw adversaries from all corners here. Now, the corporate strategy of Judah's enemies was met by a corporate response on the part of the uh, of Judah. And so they pray for, pray for help. Now, the, the advantage, of course, that the Jews have is that God is in the middle of what they're doing. And so, they, But they, they post around the clock watch to keep an eye on things. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. So they're getting... Um, a little discouraged here because they got a huge thing ahead of them here. Oops, sorry. And our adversaries said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, uh, they said unto us uh, ten times from all the places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. And uh, so, so see, even though they pray, the problem hasn't been automatically solved. The, the, the uh, builders face some new problems. They're physically and psychologically exhausted. Because the work seems endless, they're only halfway through. So now they face the threat of a secret attack. And uh, Nehemiah knew this was not idle talk. It's, it, it's been confirmed enough that uh, Nehemiah realizes this is all for real. So, verse 13 Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall, even on higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. You know, you get the impression that Nehemiah, uh, not only a strong leader, spiritually rooted, but you get the impression he's also a pretty articulate guy. He, was, he, he knew how to communicate to them. In verse 15, it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and that God had brought their counsel to naught that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass that from that time forth, forth, that half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the habergans. And I forgot to look up what that was. I apologize. I usually try to do my homework and, and these, these strange terms, double back to make sure I knew what they were. But I'm not... That one is... I, I dropped the ball there. I have no idea what a habergan is. I infer it's a weapon of some kind. And uh, anyway, the, uh, the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. So half of them are working, half of them are guarding. And uh, so they, put, they got whole families together, of course, and uh, uh, that put a lot of pressure on the fathers, can you imagine? And uh, But it's also shrewd because if in case of attack, they had no choice but to fight, see? And uh, they're gonna, if they're, he knew the only, the, the, if it's the only decision you can make if you're going to survive and uh, succeed in rebuilding the walls. But they had this crippling fear. It's a very real issue. <clears throat> they which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens, with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. And for the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so built it. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. It's uh, we got them split half and half, and uh, it's interesting that. Uh, I don't know how you lay bricks while you're, you know, holding a weapon, but obviously they, they, uh, um, had their wits about us and, and kept at it. 
Verse 19, And I said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place therefore ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye hither unto us, our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning until the stars appeared. Likewise, at the uh, at the same time said I unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing. That's reassuring. Okay. Um, so they're obviously uh, trying to minimize their vulnerability. Diligent walks all the time. So let's get to chapter 5. There was a great cry of the people and of their wives against the brethren, the Jews. You know, um, we've been talking so far about the external problems. In chapter 5, we're in touch about the internal problems. Some people feel that the events of chapter 5 happened after the wall was completed by calling an assembly and, and so forth. Uh, but uh, uh, from verse 16, we think that the wall work is continuing. So without getting into that controversy, which is not a big deal, let's move on. There was a great cry of the people and of their wives against the, their brethren, the Jews. This is internal stuff now. They got squabbles among themselves. For there, for there were that said, that we, are, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, uh, we have mortgaged our lands, our vineyards, our houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth. And there were also those that said, uh, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought into bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. So now, see, Nehemiah's challenge as a spiritual leader up till now is focused on the forces outside of Judah. Now the walls are not quite, they're not finished rebuilt yet, and already he's encountering the most intense kind of problem that any spiritual leader has to face, and that's problems from within. And uh, for these problems did not center in Sanballat or Tobiah or Geshem or those people. And there are at least four such difficulties. They had a food shortage as first part. They had to get grain for food to keep themselves and families alive. And the work on the wall, of course, hindered them from tending their crops. And so this crop failure was called a famine, actually. And another thing, others had grain. They were buying it from others, but they had to mortgage everything they had to do that, getting themselves in debt. Others, not wanting to mortgage their property, borrowed money from their Jewish brothers to pay the property taxes of King Artaxerxes. And this is compounded by the fact they're charged exorbitant interest rates by their own Jewish brothers. So in other words, you could borrow, but their Jewish brothers were charging exorbitant interest, and Nehemiah was going to deal with that forthcoming. And of course, they had a, in order to pay, also to pay their creditors, they had to mortgage their children into slavery, which was one of the ways they dealt with those issues. So this is all double trouble for Nehemiah. So he's got external enemies on the one as a constant threat, and now we've got Jews taking, taking advantage of Jews inside the walls. So now it's a, another plunge of discouragement forthcoming. And, uh, and I was very angry when I heard their cry with these words. Boy, I can imagine. Then I consulted with myself. <laughs> i got to try that sometime. I used to do that, but I couldn't stand the arguments. <laughs> Not seriously. And I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles, the rulers, and said unto them, Ye exact usury, every one of his brother. And I set a great assembly against them. 
And I said unto them, We, after, we, after our ability, have redeemed our brethren the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. Will ye even sell your brethren? Shall they be sold unto us? Then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. And I said, It is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? You know, that's a principle we need to keep in mind. We need to, moment by moment, step by step, walk in the fear of God and recognize that part of what we do can cause the enemies of God to blaspheme. And when we're unforgiving or when we handle some situation in a fleshly way, not only is it bad witness in, in, a, in a primary sense, it also can cause the enemies of God to blaspheme. And uh, that's a frightening, frightening issue. Well, you know, Nehemiah, after he gets it, regains his equilibrium, he does what, he, what Nehemiah does. He hits them head on. He rebukes those that were violating God's command not to charge their own people interest. And that's consistent with Exodus 22, Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 23. Money could be loaned out, but not to gain interest from another person's distresses. And then he called a large meeting, and he points out the inconsistencies of their behavior uh, compared to what he and others in exile had done personally to help their brothers. What's going to emerge here is some of the sacrifices that Nehemiah, Nehemiah has not taken advantage of his position. You know, stop and think about this guy. He was the right hand to the king of Persia, which ruled the whole known world at that time. And he gave that up to fight over this little piece of ground uh, you know, it's, 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 you have to understand um, the sacrifice he's already made. And, uh, and uh, Nehemiah and others had, had purchased indentured Jews that were sold to foreigners. That's all covered in Leviticus 25, by the way. But see, now the opposite was happening. Jews were selling their own Jews into slavery. And part of the dynamic here is God's reputation is at stake. That's one of the disturbing things to realize, that when we... The way we act, the way we teach, the, the, the theories that we espouse, you want to be careful that you never impugn the character of God. Anytime you imply that God isn't merciful, you may be, you may be impugning his character. There are a number of doctrines that are prevalent around the, on, on the landscape. And, uh, if you examine them closely, one of the terrifying things is they, they uh, uh, impugn the character of God. It's, that's a scary place to be. Scary place to be. That's part of part of Nehemiah's concern here is that uh, this immoral and unethical behavior is bringing reproach on the very one that had delivered their country from both the Egyptian bondage and from the Babylonian bondage. So he's exhorting them to fear and the love of God. That's trust, obey, and serve him. And uh, let's move on. Verse 10. I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, leave us, let us leave off this usury. Restore, I pray you, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their, their olive yards, and their houses, and also the hundredth part of the money of the corn, the wine, and the oil that you exacted. The hundredth part, it, that's one percent per month. One percent. One didn't know they had credit cards in those days, did you? Uh, yeah. Same deal. Uh, same deal. And uh, so, and, and Nehemiah is not only asking him to do this, he's underscoring the urgency. Do it now. Then said they, we will restore them. We will require nothing of them. So will we do as thou sayest? And then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. 
Obviously, that pleased Nehemiah, I'm sure, but uh, he knew that words are cheap, so he puts them under an oath. And very clever, see, he, he uh, uh, so I took my lap and said, go, God's shake. So, and by the way, talk about this lap thing for a minute. Um, what he's doing, he's shaking out the folds of his robe. That's like sort of emptying your pockets in a sense. And what he's doing is to symbolize that God will shake out of his house every person who failed to keep his oath. This gesture sort of uh, this, uh, shook my lap. It's, it's sort of like brushing the dust off your shoes is the equivalent kind of thing. He, he shook my lap and said, So God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise, even thus be shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did according to this promise. Nehemiah embodies their commitment into an oath, in effect, by this gesture. And because that, that uh, um, put them under an obligation before the Lord. And the priests, of course, witnessed this oath-taking. It will come up later. You should understand, Nehemiah was appointed governor of Judah. That's the highest position of leadership in the nation at that time. Now, what he's going to do from verse 14 on, it's just, uh, most scholars think he, in his historical account of his years in Jerusalem, he inserted the observations from verse 14 to 19 uh, about his perspective from that leadership position. And he includes the verses here because they impact the narrative uh, of uh, what's going on. So verse 14, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year even unto the 230th year of Artaxerxes the king, that is 12 years, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. So he didn't take advantage of his his position. See, one of the fringe benefits, you could call it, of being governor is food allowances and, and granted, by, granted to him by the Persian officials. And probably even for the official entertaining of guests. But he didn't take advantage of that. But the former governors that had been before me were chargeable unto the people and had taken of them bread and wine, besides forty shekels of silver, yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did I, not I, because of the fear of God. Yea, also I continued in the work of this wall, and neither brought we any land, and all my servants were gathered thither unto the work. And uh, you get a real insight in this guy. He's for real. He's serious about what he's doing. And uh, now Nehemiah could have loaned them money to pay their taxes and used their land as a collateral. And when they could not pay back what they borrowed, he could apply the world standard and take in their land. That's what Joseph did for Pharaoh back in, in, in those days. But... but uh, <laughs> And he could have exploited the poor, but he didn't do that. He didn't do any acquisitions. He didn't do any outright purchases. He didn't abuse his position as governor in any way. In fact, now he didn't abuse it. He didn't even take advantage of it. He stayed himself squeaky clean. He was there to exemplify God's law and not to violate it. That's really the net of this. He came to build a wall and not a personal empire. That's the, that's the summary, I think, of, of Nehemiah and how rare that sense of commitment is. Moreover, there were at my table 150 of the Jews and rulers beside those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. And now that which was prepared for me daily was one ox and six choice sheep, also fowls were prepared for me, and once in ten days store of all sorts of wine. Yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor, because the bondage was heavy upon this people. Think upon me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for these people." We don't quite know who these 150 were, by the way. Scholars speculate, but we really don't know. Um, there are seven prayers recorded in this book. Remember me with favor is the same prayer that he voices at the end of the book as we go. So uh, so ends 
Uh, let's just summarize again some thoughts before we tie off the chapter about Nehemiah's leadership. Uh, he established a reasonable, attainable goal. That was his first step. He did very carefully to study that. He had a sense of mission that didn't get him distracted from anything. He was willing to get personally involved. He labored with them on the wall. He arranged his priorities in order to accomplish his goal. See, the, the, the mission's, mission uh, focus is important. He patiently waited for God's timing. And he, you know, he, he served that king for a long time, spent four months preparing before he even approached the king on his, uh, for his issue. And he showed respect to his superior. Our executives with Gentile king, but he showed him respect. He prays at crucial times. Boy, that's one, we, that's one lesson we should certainly learn from Nehemiah. He prayed, uh, I think between uh, clauses, you know. He made his request with tact and graciousness to whomever he's speaking. He was well prepared and thought of his needs in advance. He wasn't caught by surprise. Each step had evidence that he prepared. He did his homework. He went through the proper channels. He took time, three days, to rest, pray, and plan before, before he even let his plan be known to the people he was going to work with. He investigated the situation firsthand. Interesting, he personally made the inspection in the middle of the night. And he informed others only after he knew the size of the problem. He scoped it first. He identified himself as one with the people. He wasn't aloof, he was part of them. He set before them the reasonable, attainable goal. He assured them that God was in the project. Boy, that's important. It's important to know that, important to make that the basis. But he displayed self-confidence in facing obstacles. And that's, that's the way it was listed uh, in the list. But I, I wouldn't call it self-confidence. I call it God-confidence. But the point is he went with, with strength of assurance. He displayed God's confidence in facing obstacles. That's, I guess, the way of amplifying that. And he did not argue with his opponents. He was not discouraged by the opposition. And he courageously used the authority of his position. This is the list that's often quoted by uh, Donald Campbell in his book, Nehemiah, the Man in Charge, a book on leadership lessons from Nehemiah. And so ends session one. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Nehemiah. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.